Turn your Bibles with me tonight to Isaiah chapter number 41. Isaiah chapter number 41. And uh, that, I believe it's the third verse in that, when through the deep waters... Uh, no, I'm sorry, it's the second verse. Fear not, I am with thee, it says. The songwriter penned it. Of course, it's inspired by Scripture. But the songwriter said, Fear not, I am with thee, O be not dismayed, for I am thy God and will still give thee aid. If you're looking in your Bible, you ain't going to see it. I'm looking in a hymn book. Amen. <laughs> Y'all confused out there. For I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand upheld by my... Now, this songbook changes it, and I don't like the way... It says gracious. Now, God is gracious. Amen. Don't misunderstand me. But the uh, the original lyric said, by my righteous omnipotent hand. I Listen, it's good to know in times of trouble that He's gracious, but I already know that. Sometimes I have to be reminded that He's righteous. Amen. And that the judge of all the earth does right. And uh, so I appreciate them singing that song. That was a blessing. Now let's turn to uh, some verses of Scripture, not song. Amen. Isaiah chapter 41, verse number 1. The Word of God says, Keep silence before me, O islands, and let the people renew their strength. Let them come near, then let them speak. Let us come near together to judgment. Who raised up the righteous man from the east, called him to his foot, gave him the nations before him, and made him rule over kings. He gave them as the dust to his sword, and as driven stubble to his bow. He pursued them and passed safely, even by the way that he had not gone with his feet. Who hath wrought and done it, calling the generations from the beginning? I the Lord, the first, and with the last, I am he. The isles saw it and feared. The ends of the earth were afraid, drew near and came. They helped everyone his neighbor, and everyone said to his brother, Be of good courage. So the carpenter encouraged the goldsmith, and he that smootheth with the hammer, him that smote the anvil, saying, It is ready for the soldering. And he fastened it with nails, that it should not be moved. But thou, Israel, art my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. Thou whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called thee from the chief men thereof and said unto thee, Thou art my servant, I have chosen thee and not cast thee away. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Behold, all they that were incensed against thee shall be ashamed and confounded. They shall be as nothing And they that strive with thee shall perish. Thou shalt seek them and shalt not find them. Even them that contended with thee, they that war against thee shall be as nothing and as a thing of naught. For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, and we find the phrase again, Fear not, I will help thee. And once more in verse 14, Fear not, thou worm of Jacob, and ye men of Israel, I will help thee, saith the Lord and thy Redeemer, the Holy One, of Israel. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you that we can gather here still in freedom in this country and that we've been able to congregate together as a church body. Lord, we know that a body, if it's not together, is is, uh, not a body, if it's not a called out assembly. And Lord, we just are thankful tonight that we can gather together in freedom and in peace, that we can worship you tonight, and Lord, that we can glorify you. I pray that you'd help us. I pray that you would uh, enliven your word to us, enlighten our eyes to it. And Father, that we may gain strength and help in this hour of need. We'll be sure to thank you for it. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.
I want to take a few moments to you tonight and preach to you on this theme taken directly from the inspired Word of God. Fear not, for I am with thee. Now let me start this message tonight by making a couple statements that I feel like I need to make. One, uh, I'm not preaching tonight and telling you to quit using hand sanitizer. I ain't telling you to quit washing your hands. I ain't telling you to walk around and lick doorknobs, amen? But I have one simple thing I want to tell you tonight is that you can trust Him. You can trust Him. He's trustworthy. And nothing going on inside or outside these doors has changed that in the world tonight or in heaven. He is still trustworthy. He is still worthy to be trusted. He has earned our trust when He didn't have to. And we ought to be able to, and we are able to trust Him tonight. I'll tell you that we're not heroes for having church. I, I'm, you, you thank the Lord for me. I want to thank the Lord for you. Amen. Uh, there's a lot of pastors, I have no doubt, that closed their doors tonight. And they didn't want to, but they knew if they showed up, they'd be the only one. And uh, I'm thankful that you're here tonight. Amen. I appreciate your faithfulness to the Lord, and I trust you did it for the Lord. You're not here for me or for anyone else's eyes. You're here because you believe it's, it's what you need to do uh, for the Lord. Uh, but we're, we're not heroes for having church, amen, and, and I've committed not to say anything of my opinion one way or the other about preachers, no matter what their decision is on these matters. Uh, I, I'm not here to be a hero, I, and nor am I a rebel or a renegade, amen, but I, I do believe this, I do believe we're instructed to be in the house of the Lord, and, and I want to obey the Lord as best as I can. Uh, I, if, if you uh, believe that you're putting your personal safety at risk by being here and feel like you ought not be here, then do as your conscience dictates. And I won't be mad at you, and I trust nobody else would be mad at you. Uh, but I just come with this simple message tonight. He's trustworthy. You can trust Him. You can trust Him during these times. The background to Isaiah 41, of course, all of the latter portion of the book of Isaiah is written with the Babylonian captivity of Israel in mind. It would be the greatest national uh, catastrophe that the southern kingdom of Judah would ever experience when Babylon uh, would uh, come in 586 B.C. under the uh, leadership of Nebuchadnezzar and would sack the city of Jerusalem, burn the temple, and would carry the children of Israel away into captivity. There were three phases to that, but about 586 was the final one. And uh, it would be in the wake of that that Jeremiah would pen the mournful uh, book of Lamentations under inspiration of the Holy Ghost. But right now, as Isaiah pens this, they are uh, some time away from that. They're about 120 years away from that taking place. And at this moment, Judah seems to be in a in a fairly comfortable situation. They, they do have enemies, and uh, if the Lord will help us, we might say a bit about that on Sunday morning if the Lord continues in the direction that we believe He's going. But nobody could have imagined that things would wind up the way they would. But you see, God knew. Because God already knows. God knows everything. God knew this was going to happen in our country. If, say, whatever is happening would happen, He knew it would happen before it did. Uh, God knows what's going to happen in your life and my life, and there's nothing that ever takes Him by surprise. Uh, God knows exactly what's going on. And so God, in choosing uh, and, and in endeavoring to encourage His people... Uh, had the latter portion of the book of Isaiah be penned, uh, most of it of which is comprised of encouragement for the people of God. 
knowing there'd come a day when they would need this encouragement. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you tonight, if you're scared out of your wits and you just uh, managed to muster enough faith to come to church tonight, I believe these truths will help you. And if you sit back and believe it's all much ado about nothing, uh, I promise you, if it ain't if it ain't this that's going on, sooner or later you're going to need what I'm going to preach tonight. Because some catastrophe will come into your life and you'll need to be reminded that no matter what darkness you're going through, the Lord is with you and there's no need to fear. Three times in our passage tonight, uh, the Word of God encourages us to not fear. Let's look at them together. Verse number 10, the Word of God says this, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Down in verse number 13, uh, the prophet says, For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. Again, denoting his presence. And then in verse 14, he says, Fear not, thou worm of Jacob, and ye men of Israel, I will help thee, saith the Lord, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. You know what I see as a trend in all three of those passages? Is the presence of the Lord. He says, I'm going to be with you. No matter what you go through, I'm still going to be with you. It reminds me of what the Hebrews writer pins when he says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And I'll tell you this, no matter how good things get, no matter how bad things get, I promise you this, that if you're a child of God, there ain't nothing out there that's going to scare the Lord away from you. There's nothing out there that's going to scare the Lord away from being ever present in your life. It's the very truth of the presence of God in our lives that ought to give us comfort and peace. No matter what happens, God's never going to leave us. And there's nothing that you and I will go through, but what God will go through it with us. Now, somebody's going to say, but preacher, the Lord may go through it with us, but it can't affect him the way that it can affect me. I mean, he's God and he's he's omniscient, and he's omnipotent and he's omnipresent and he's eternal and it's not going to affect him. Oh, but listen, friend, it does affect him. It affects him, number one, because he already went through it for you. He already was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. Nothing you go through but what God has already first went through it. Then I'd say, number two, it does affect him. Uh, you say, uh, nothing can touch him. Oh, yes, he is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He's attuned his heart to our heart. And there's nothing that we go through but what he goes through it with us. It's the very fact of his presence that gives us peace. In these times. And so I want us to look at these three verses and notice some things that we can get and derive from his presence. Look at verse number 10 with me. And I want to say that there is confidence in his presence. You know, that's what we really need right now. Again, I'm not saying we don't need caution, but I'm saying we do need confidence. Uh, It's okay to have caution. We've told people if you don't want to shake hands, don't shake hands. There might be some folks continue that even after everybody's better. They may just decide they don't want to shake hands. Amen. Uh, but uh, I think there's been people been looking for an excuse to quit shaking my hand, amen. But uh, you know, I, I'm not I'm not saying I'm against caution, but I am saying this: don't cast away your confidence, which has a great recompense of reward. We can have confidence in His presence. I, I would say this: notice verse number ten. He says, uh, "Fear not, fear thou not, for I am with thee." Now, as a result of that fact, as a product of that, he says, 
be not dismayed. Dismayed means to be awestruck. It means to be paralyzed with fear and to be paralyzed with awe. He says, for I am thy God. And then he says he's going to do some things. He says, I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. You remember what uh, Preacher McBride said about that word, yea? It means there's a little more. Amen. There's a little extra. This and something else. He says, I will strengthen thee. But that's not all. He says, I will help thee. He said, that's not even all. He said, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Now, God's making some promises in verse number 10. A promise is explicitly given to give confidence wherewith a person can act appropriately. That's why you make a promise. If we're headed home tonight, and this is likely to happen, if we're headed home tonight and one of the boys gets hungry and gets fussy and gets hangry, we'll say, now, I promise that when we get home, we'll get you something to eat. Well, why are we telling them that? We're telling them that so they'll shut up. Amen? That's why we're telling them that. We're telling them that so that they'll calm down, so they'll quiet down, so that what they don't have can be supplemented by what they do have. They don't have food, but they do have a promise. And so hopefully it'll give them a little bit of peace of mind. Well, the, the, the promises that God gives are the very same way. I notice this, that as we live consciously in God's presence, we enjoy each of these things that His presence provides for us. Notice, first off, there's peace in His presence. He says, be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I like everything that Brother Jim uh, said tonight. I, I, let me say, I, I praise the Lord for Brother Jim. What a great job he does. It's an encouragement. It's a peace of mind to me for, for him to be doing what he does here in our, our church family. And he does much more than people realize. Uh, but I think the best thing I've ever heard him say, I, I'm talking, I don't know how long we've known each other, uh, a couple of years at least now, maybe 50, I don't know. It's best thing I've ever heard him say was when he said, you know that TV has an off button. That's wise right there, amen? There's a lot of this garbage that we just simply need to just shut out. And part of our problem is all of society at large, we're just awestruck by the sheer magnitude of what is presented to us. Most people couldn't name you a a single fact or statistic uh, about lethality rates or transmissible rates. They couldn't tell you whether this is worse than the flu or better than the flu. And listen, I'm not here to convince you one way or the other. I'm just saying this. uh, Could it be we got our eyes on the wrong things? The Lord says, be not dismayed. And here's why. He said, for I am thy God. We've got a God like nobody else has. And because of, we, have, we have the only true God that's true, but even if there were many gods, I'd still want the God I've got because he, He's the greatest imaginable. It's beyond what's fathomable by the human imagination. Hey, the things He has prepared for us, I have not seen, neither ear hurt, neither have entered into man's hearts. We have a God so much greater than we could ever fathom. So we got nothing, we got nothing to be dismayed of. Again, I'm not saying don't use caution, but I'm saying don't allow that caution to paralyze you in such a way that you begin to doubt whether God can take care of you. There's peace in His presence. Then I notice there's power in His presence. He says, I will strengthen thee. I will strengthen thee. We have access to the power and strength of God during these times. I'll tell you this, There, you may not feel this way, but I, I've seen it to be the case in my life. There are times that we will allow fear to arrest us, to grab hold of us, and we'll feel incapable of overcoming or surmounting the fear that we feel. Can I tell you this, that when we live daily, consciously in the presence of God, recognizing that no matter what goes on out there, God's on His throne. He's not left His throne. He ain't even shifted. He ain't even moved except to bend down to hear our prayers. None of this has upset Him. That gives us strength to go on. Hey, listen, we know we know that God, there's nothing we're going to face but what God is bigger than. 
And He can control it. There's power in His presence. Then I see there's provision in His presence. He says, yea, I will help thee. Man, I love that. You know why? Because I need a lot of help. I need help. Sometimes I know what... Uh, I, I'm like the Apostle Paul. Listen, I, I know what's right, uh, but but how, where, to find wherewithal to do right, I can't. I, I'm like the Apostle Paul. Sometimes I, I know what's right and I know what I need to do, but in my flesh dwelleth no good things and, and I can't find the way to do right and I can't find it. And in those times, you know the Lord will help us. He will provide for us everything that we need. Now, sometimes God fills your pantry by giving you two strong arms and a strong back to work. It's not lost upon, uh, lost upon me that God equips us and gives us wisdom and prudence in knowing how to act and how to behave. But you know what we're afraid of right now? We're afraid that despite our greatest efforts, we won't be able to procure and get the things that we need. You know, you know why you went out and bought 75 packages of toilet paper? Because you didn't know if it was going to be there in two hours. It wasn't you did it because you just loved toilet paper. You did it because you said, what's going to happen if my needs are not met? Can I tell you something? As a child of God, David said it better than anybody. He said, I have been young and now I am old, yet have I never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging bread. I promise you that if you do everything within the realm and bounds of responsibility that God has placed upon your shoulder, if you use wisdom, you use prudence, and if you're a child of God, God's going to make sure that none of His kids go hungry. He'll give you the help that you need. They can run, they can run on the grocery store, they can run a marathon on the grocery stores, but God has storehouses that He can open for His children. And you can rest assured that He'll give you the help that you need when the time comes. We've already, even tonight, heard about God reaching His hand down, metaphorically, figuratively speaking, out of the windows of heaven and giving people exactly what they need. Why would you think that a virus is going to keep Him from doing that? He's been doing it your whole life. He's been taking care of your whole life. Ain't nothing comes across the news. Ain't nothing come across the wire that's going to change who God is and what He does. His provision is there. But then I notice His persistence is there. You know what I think a lot of us worry about is can we, can we, can we hold up? Can we hold up under the burden, under the bear? We start running out of money or we feel like we will. We're going to start running out of money or running out of food, whatever it might be. Preacher, how am I going to hold up? I can trust God right now. I can go to an altar. I can give it to Him and I, I can trust Him. But, but what happens when I walk outside these doors and, and fear begins to grip hold of me? Well, listen, you don't have to hold up. You know why? Because He's upholding. Look at that next phrase. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. So you don't have to hold up. I'll uphold you. In other words, I'd say this, that there is persistence in His presence. There's consistency. There's permanence. There's stability. Uh, we spend so much time worrying about things that may or may not ever come to pass. But I promise you this, that God is present in your life now. He'll be present tomorrow. He'll be present the day after. And in those moments when you're afraid that weakness or fear or anxiety will overcome you, will swell over you like floodwaters, God has the ability to buoy you above the circumstances of life and give you the strength. He, he can keep you going straight. That's what I'm saying. He, you say, preacher, can I keep going straight in all this? He can keep you going straight. He can keep you afloat. He's able. So there's confidence in His presence. But then I want you to notice verse number 13. We find this phrase again. He says, For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. Now, how many of you know this is true? God doesn't waste His breath. He doesn't waste words on the page of the Word of God. He doesn't say things for redundancy's sake. 
uh, typically speak, he says it for force, right? Or he says it for exposition. He, he says it because he's trying to drive a point home, or he says it because he's trying to disclose more truth to him, to you. So what did he say? We see some similar phrases to verse number 10. We see in verse number 10, he says, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. And we find something similar in verse 13. We see in verse 10, he says, I will help thee. And word for word, he says it again in verse number 13. So what is it that he is getting at? I would say this. We see not only the confidence of his presence, but we see the closeness of his presence. That's what's being emphasized in verse number 13. He says, I, the Lord God, not just I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness, but he says, I will hold thy right hand. And you say, preacher, is there any difference? Well, my little boy, littlest one, is is uh, knocking on the door of two years old. And uh, I, I, I'm hoping that he's just been terrible the whole time and we're not going to have terrible twos. That's my prayer. You pray with me about that. But... Uh, I tell you, there's a difference. You, you might you might not think anything about this, but to a daddy's heart, there's a difference between me holding him and him holding me. He'll he'll do this thing when he wants us to hold him, and I, I guess he's just parroting what he's heard us say because we'll say, "Do you want me to hold you?" And so when he wants us to hold him, he doesn't say, "Will you hold me?" He'll say, "Hold you," as though you know he's doing us a favor. Amen. But I tell you, there's a difference between scooping him up and holding him, and I love to do that, but it's something different when that little fat hand reaches over and grabs mine. There's a difference between me upholding him and me holding him. I'm glad the Lord upholds us. But you know, not only does he uphold us, you see, that right there, that's for stability. But he also holds us. That's for comfort. He says, I will hold thee with thy right hand. I, I notice a few things. You know what I see here? Number one, I notice that God approaches in times of trouble. You know, something you'll find is that you can't hold hands from a distance. It's impossible. If you want to hold hands with somebody, you've got to get close to them to do it. Can I tell you something that in times of trouble... Times of fear, times when we're afraid, times of anxiety. You remember the psalmist said, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. In times that we are afraid, you know what God does? He doesn't have to do this. His promises are sure no matter what. Listen, He doesn't have to do this. He could take care of us and us never sense and never feel. But you know what God does? God scoots up close to His people in times of trouble. We call it the felt presence of God. Now, God's presence, it never forsakes us. It's always faithful. But sometimes it's good to experience that felt presence of God. You know, in times of trouble, if we'll pray and if we'll seek Him, if we'll spend time in His Word, if we'll try to hear from Him, if we'll bend our ear to Him, He'll bend His ear to us, and we'll find that there is a closeness during those times. Uh, during times of difficulty. And by the way, before any of this that's going on in, in the world right now ever happened, God's people have been testifying to this truth uh, my whole life and long before that, ever since God uh, uh, began to do this in the hearts and lives of His people, that when you go through hard times, God gets more precious to you. He gets more close to you. You ever notice how close you get to God in the midst of the storm? Well, we find it here in the text that He approaches us. Uh, it, it, we do need to draw an eye unto Him, but guess what? It's not us can get to Him. James said, uh, draw an eye to Him and He'll draw an eye to you. If we'll just reach for Him, guess what He'll do? He'll reach out and grab that hand. He approaches 
in times of trouble. And then he says, I will hold thy right hand. You know what I do? Again, I don't mean to see everything through the lens of my experiences. But first, when, when, when we're getting out of a car at a restaurant or a grocery store or any of those illegal places now, when we're getting out and, and, and we're getting the kids out, the first thing we'll say to them when we start to go through the parking lot, we'll say, hold my hand. Hold my hand. Don't let go of my hand. You're in a parking lot. There's danger around. Don't let go of my hand. You see, for them, it's a dangerous situation. And so you know what we do? We take them by the hand. And why are we doing that? We're doing that two reasons. One, so they can't run off, run out in front of the car, get hurt. But number two, so that we can guide them along safe paths. I would say this, not only does God approach in times of trouble, He assists in times of trouble. His hand will guide us. Can I tell you something? And I, and I hope this isn't took the wrong way. I have confidence in the Holy Ghost to lead God's people. I, to, to, to just share with you a little bit of my perspective, and you, you might disagree. In fact, I'd almost guarantee there'll be folks disagree with what I'm about to say. Uh, and that's okay. We can disagree. There ain't nothing wrong with that. Don't erase the blood of Christ. Amen. But a lot of my policy throughout this whole thing this past week or so has been this. Do as your conscience dictates. You know why that is? Because I believe if you're saved by the grace of God, you've got the Holy Ghost living in you just as surely as I've got the Holy Ghost living in me. And can I say something? Please don't take this the wrong way. I love you. I'm your pastor. God has called me to pastor you. But I didn't take nary a one of you to raise. It ain't my job to keep you healthy. All right? God has endowed all of us with some measure of common sense. Obviously some more than others. But guess what? He levels that playing field with the Holy Ghost. Listen to the Holy Ghost. He'll lead you right. Say, preacher, should everybody be going to church? No, listen, there's probably some folks it's smart for them to not go to church. I'm not against that, but I just believe the Holy Ghost can instruct you in what you need to do. Amen? I believe He'll assist us. I believe He'll take us by the hand and lead and guide us. Pray about it. See if God don't answer. Give you wisdom. Sometimes we don't pray, we don't want to hear the answer. And that's why we don't pray. But I believe He assists us. And then I notice this. He takes us by the, the right hand. And then what does He do? Saying unto thee, Fear not, for I will help thee. Now we get to the crux of it. Why is there a repetition from verse number 10? Here's why. In verse 10, he states it. In verse 13, he's telling you what he's going to do during times of trouble. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to come up close to you. He's going to grab you by the hand. And he assures us in times of trouble. He's going to say, hey, listen, everything's okay. I've got you by the hand. Everything's all right. You know, there is another reason I take my little boy by the hand. If he's scared, if he's hurt, I'll grab him. And you know what I'll do? You know what I'm saying by saying that? I'm saying everything's okay. Everything's okay. You know, there's a closeness in God's presence. And he will take us by the hand and give us the comfort that we need. And then I do notice, and let me use that word comfort again. Look at verse 14. Interesting verse. We find this phrase again. Fear not. Fear not. Thou worm of Jacob, and ye men of Israel. I will help thee, saith the Lord, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I find there's comfort here. We find in this passage the confidence of his presence, the closeness of his presence. But then I want you to notice the comfort of his person in this passage. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you, if I was going to try to encourage somebody the first thing I would do is probably not insult them. I probably wouldn't scoot up close and say, it's okay, little worm. 
Don't worry, slug. Everything's fine. My sweet little cockroach, just settle down. What strange language that is. And yet we find that it is packed with meaning. You know why? Because the word worm is really not found. It's found about 30-something times in the Bible. But there's only two times that anyone in particular is called a worm. One is here in Isaiah 41, whenever God, speaking to Israel, calls Jacob a worm and the men of Israel a worm. Can I read to you another place? This is the only other time it's used referring to a person. And it's in the book of Psalms. Chapter 22, verse 6 says, But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. Now you might say, well, that's a good preacher, but what does that have to do with me? Well, you see, Psalms 22 is not just any psalm. I mean, every psalm's inspired and it's precious, but, but I'm saying it's not like every other psalm. It's part of a select group of psalms. Let me read a little more to it, and you might understand what I mean. The psalmist begins that chapter in verse 1 by saying this, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Down in verse 16, he uses this phrase. He says, they pierced my hands and my feet. Verse number 18, he says this, they parted my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Now, who does that sound like? Sounds like the Lord Jesus, doesn't it? Psalms 22 is a messianic psalm, meaning that psalm pertains, it is a prophecy of the coming Messiah. And the Lord Jesus fulfilled it to the very nth degree as He did every other prophecy relating to Him. Now, stop and think about this. In Psalms 22, Jesus says, I am a worm. And the only other place that anybody's called a worm is in this time of trouble and distress when God Himself, speaking to Israel, says, you know what you are? You're a worm. Could it be he's trying to associate his people in their sufferings with his son in his sufferings? You know, part of the comfort of his person is our relationship to his person. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, you know what God was doing here? He was just talking to Israel the same way he talked to his own son. You know, one of the great sources of peace to me during times of trouble is to be reminded that as a child of God, you know how God treats me? He treats me like His own son. My destiny, my person, my identity is wrapped up and fused with the person of Christ. God deals with me the way He deals with Jesus. Now you say, preacher, does that help me in times of trouble? Oh, it ought to. It ought to to know that if God lets you go through trouble, He's doing that just like He would for His own Son. And that if He delivered His Son, He'll deliver you. If He was faithful to His Son, He'll be faithful to you. That you and Jesus are knit together, spiritually speaking. And that just as His fate was secure, your fate is secure. And that just as God always cared for Him, God always cares for you. We find the relationship that we have to His person. Can I just make a simple statement? I'll move on. You know why the Lord Jesus rebuked the faithlessness of the disciples when they were on that boat in the midst of the storm? It's just natural in the midst of a storm to be afraid. And you know, it was their experience that made them afraid. They weren't no dummies. They knew how quick a storm could sink a boat on the Sea of Galilee. Why did He rebuke their faithlessness? For one simple reason. He had already revealed who He was. And they should have known that that boat couldn't sink While he was on board. That boat could not sink while he was on board. 
They might have been sinners. They might have been wretches. They might have made mistakes. They might have been out there of their own volition. They might have, people could say, you brought this on. But hey, while Jesus was on board, that boat was not going to sink. Now stop and think about this. The Lord Jesus has took up residence in your life and mine. Say, why do I have peace in the midst of this thing? Uh, Well, can I just say it this way? Because if I'm going to get it, Jesus is going to have to get it too. Because my destiny is wrapped up in His. I I see in this passage the relationship to His person. And then finally, and I'm just going to mention these and be done, I see the revelation of His person. God makes three statements about Himself that are a source of comfort to His people. He notes first that He is a personal God. He says He's the Lord, all caps. Now, to you and me, that might not mean much, but to an Israelite, that meant something. Because that denoted the name Jehovah which was the name, the national name of God to Israel. They knew Him as Elohim, a generic term for God. But it would be similar if somebody was to say to you, do you believe in God? And you say, yes. Well, if they say, do you believe in Jesus Christ? That's a whole other question entirely, right? Jesus Christ is a personal name of Christ. It's an identifying name of Christ. And for us as Christians, that's how we know Him. That's the name of God to us. The name of the Son of God. And when he says, I'm the Lord, he's reminding Israel, I'm Israel's God. I'm your God. I'm the God you pray to. I'm the God that brought you out of Egypt. I'm the God that holds your hand. I'm the God that's made these promises. He's reminding them that he's not a far distant God and he's not a generic God. He is a personal God. Listen, don't let the troubles of life erase from your faith and your memory that God is your God and he loves you and he cares for you. We see that He is a personal God. Then He says He's the Redeemer. And we're reminded that He's a powerful God. What is a Redeemer? A Redeemer is somebody that rescues somebody else from a situation. They've redeemed them. They've paid the purchase price. They've bought them unto themselves. And they hold the power of life and death over that person. They had the wherewithal to get them out of the mess they were in. And now that person belongs to them. And they are their responsibility. It's a reminder that He's a powerful God. He had the power to redeem us. You think he doesn't have power in every other circumstance? I'm not telling you nobody's going to get sick. I'm not telling you people ain't going to uh, suffer through this. I'm not telling you there won't be people uh, across uh, the nation or across the state of Tennessee uh, that uh, die through this thing. There already have been. I'm not saying that's not going to happen. I'm saying this, that God is powerful enough to deliver us if he wants to deliver us. God is powerful enough to protect us if he wants to protect us. I'm not calling you to recklessness. I'm just saying you can trust him. He's our Redeemer. And then He reminds us that He's a perfect God. He says He's the Holy One of Israel. He's the Holy One. Holy holy means without sin. Reverend, sanctified, perfect, pure, and righteous. And He reminds us that He don't make any mistakes. I don't know what's going to happen in your life. I'll tell you this. A man that is born a woman is a few days and full of trouble. Uh, There's no sermon I could preach that would take all sorrow away from your life. But I'm telling you this. If, if tragedy comes to your life, uh, it's not because God was unable to prevent it. And it's not because God messed up. Because He's powerful and He's perfect. And He is capable, He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. There's nothing in our lives that He is not capable of. And He has never made a mistake. He's not going to start with you. Listen, wash your hands till they bleed. I, it doesn't matter to me. Uh, the, stay, stay away from everybody. If people come near you, cry out unclean, unclean. That's fine. 
I, listen, and I'm saying it a little tongue-in-cheek. I'm not trying to be derogatory towards people's caution. I'm saying take all the precautions you want. I don't think taking precautions is a lack of faith, but make sure that in your precautions you don't lack faith. Make sure that in the midst of all of this, you don't quit trusting Him. Don't let anxiety invade your mind and dethrone your confidence in Him because no matter what happens, He's still in control. And all I'm saying is you can trust Him. Let's bow together tonight as a musician comes to the piano. Maybe it'd be good for some of us to just find a place in an altar and just remind ourselves and remind the Lord that we know we can trust Him. Maybe it would be good to buffet our flesh a little and tell ourselves, you know, God's got this under control. I'm going to trust Him. I'm going to have confidence in Him. I'm not calling you to recklessness, but I am calling you to rely upon the Lord, trust Him. Uh, listen, unplug from the, from the, from the chaos cycle. And say, I'm going to fix my gaze upon the Lord. I'm going to trust Him. I believe He's in control. I believe He's capable of watching over me. I believe He's perfect. And I believe no matter what happens, it will have been done in accordance with His perfect, pure, spotless will. Lord, I'm going to trust You. Father, bless this invitation. May it glorify Your Son. We ask it in Jesus' name.